looks like the wind blew in and tossed my notes off, so I had to reorganize them there a little bit. It would have been a really weird message all over the place. Where is he going with this? A really short message. How many of y'all were at the uh, 3rd of July or some of y'all over there at the field the other day? Was that not fun? That was fun. I, I have to say, like, uh, now I'm, I'm not sure I should say this out loud, and sometimes when my brain tells me that, I say things anyway. Uh, I'm going to do it now. Um, but uh, something struck me about that, and, and it's, it's that I came away, and I was talking to people about it, and to, everybody said, you know what, that was fun. And I thought, I don't know how often people say church was fun. You know, and I mean, I, I love church, obviously. I like to be here. I see fellowship with my friends. I connect with the Lord. I hear truth. We sing, you know, it's just all this good stuff. But it was just neat to have it be for sure fun. So I don't know. When you go back, if you're from out of town, you go back home, maybe we should be, maybe the, the vibe coming out of the building should be, that was fun, not a beat down you know, or one thing we had to do. So anyway, I hope you're here and having fun and you're not thinking this I had to do, uh, which is one of the beautiful things about people coming to church in Crested Butte because no one comes here unless they want to be in this room, which is pretty cool. We all want to be here, so that's exciting. Anyway, just some thoughts uh, up here. So uh, we're in a series where we're looking at conversations or messages that Jesus gives to the crowds, and we're calling it, and he said to them, so, you know, in the, in the Bible, if you were to look at the Gospels and you were to divide them up uh, different ways, one way you could divide them up is by who Jesus is talking to. Crowds or one person or the religious leaders or he prays, he's talking to God, talking to his disciples. There's just different groups of people that he communicates with. And so we've just selected some of the situations where he's speaking to a crowd and we're looking to say, okay, what, is, what can he say to us? We've got a crowd here. So what, what does that have what, is, what does he have for us in that? And last week we started this, uh, or two weeks ago, I guess. And last week we were in this place they call the Sermon on the Mount, which many of you are familiar with. But Jesus has this huge crowd of people following him, and he's gone up on the side of this uh, mountainside, and he's able from there to look down and speak to a large group of people. But there is this uh, core group, his disciples. He just started calling his 12, and there's a few of them here now. And they're close by. And so Jesus is speaking to them in the content of all of this, this uh, Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, is directed at those disciples. But he's saying it so that everyone can hear. So the message is for a broader, to, to be heard by others, but focused on people who are his followers. And so if you're a follower of Christ in here, these words are really important. Last week we looked at salt and light. He says, you are, if you're following me, you're salt and light. And uh, one of the things that has struck me deeply about that is the, uh, in studying for that and thinking about it afterwards is, you know, salt is something I love to have on my food. I want salt. I want spice to make it taste good. And Jesus says, you know, if, if the salt is tasteless, if you become tasteless, my followers, then all we should do is just throw you out and you just be washed down the street. And so it made me think, well, hey, you know, Jesus is saying, this is, you're something that people should want to spice up the most important things in their life. And how often do people in our community, our world, or 
Even our neighbors say, you know, we, we have a problem, we have a situation, we have life going on. What we really need is some more Christians. Well, that doesn't often get said. And so, you know, you heard me say that last week, but it's something that I just have continued to think, okay, how, how is it that we got there? And what needs to happen? And I think part of the answer is something that we're going to see today. Actually, we're going to be a little bit later in the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, let's, uh, let's jump over there. Jesus is going to be talking about uh, something he calls treasure. And, and let me just, before we even read the passage, we're not talking about money. Money might be a part of it, but he's talking about treasure. And we're going to talk more about what that might mean to him and to us as we go through this. But let's just take money off the table unless you, you feel like God's bringing it back for you. So Matthew six nineteen. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So here's uh, Jesus' uh, economic, spiritual economics 101. Here's the basis for what, how we value things. And then he, he makes an unusual turn uh, in, in, his, in, in supporting this little thesis that he's made, that the, the treasure on earth is not worth pursuing. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And we'll talk about how that fits in 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 just a moment. And then 24, he's going to say that our relationship with God can be utterly damaged by uh, what our treasure is. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So, you know, when when I read this passage... And I think about, I guess I want to set up a, a, something in your mind as, a, as some imagery to move forward. There's, there's these things that we might call treasures that we possess. Um, and we're going to try to define that a little bit. But when, when I read this, I think, well, what God wants me to do, what he's saying is I need to reallocate and, and use my resources differently, use what he's given me differently. And maybe they get spent or get you or the things that I value are, are al- just reallocated or moved to a different place. But I think there's something a whole lot deeper that Jesus is talking about. And and this is the main point, and the thing I'd really love for you to think about, is is I think Jesus is saying what needs to happen is is not to look at the treasure we have now, whatever that is for you, but to resource the treasure. In other words, there is a treasure that um, informs everything else. And so rather than looking at the treasure that we have, what we want to do is, is try to understand from this how we can find a new source of treasure which changes how we see the rest of what's going on with us, the other things that we value that will inform everything else. So the question is, when you read this passage, he says these things. This is the truth. This is the truth. This is the truth. Well, so the idea, I think, is then how do I do something about it? This is one of those places where you have to say, okay, well, what do I do about this? And I want to give you three points that I think he's, we're going to unfold and follow Jesus' uh, uh, structure here. 
The first one is uh, we need to discover what our treasure is. We need to know what the treasure is so that we can deal with it. If we don't know what the treasure is, then we're kind of off to a, a tough start already. But secondly, we need to adjust our vision. We need to, to change what we're looking at, adjust our vision, and, and we'll talk about that. And then the last part is, is again, really the, first, the main point, is, is how do we resource our treasure? How do we change from one, focus on one treasure to a different treasure, a treasure that is permanent? So I guess I'll, let me just say, this is your, if you're on vacation here, which I think a lot of you are, this is a fabulous time. You're broken away from things. You're resting. Um, you're getting to spend some time with the body of Christ to be honest with yourself just for a little bit and to spend some time with God and try to address, because Jesus is saying something very serious here. He's, very, he's saying, if, if you're one of my followers, you need to understand this. It's not both and. You have a chance to do that. And if you live here, same thing. <laughs> Just started with our friends from out of town. So uh, let's talk about discovering what our treasure is. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but lay them up in heaven. So, you know, what is it that is the treasure? Jesus is assuming that we want to make sure that our treasures are in the right place, right? He just assumes that you don't want to waste whatever your treasure is. That's implicit in the passage. So what is it? And here's how I would address it. And this is what I'm going to do this week. I have not done it because it's uncomfortable. But I'm going to take a piece of paper and get along with God and write what is my treasure and wrestle with it. So I'm just challenge you. I, I haven't done it, in, honestly, because I, I don't want to. But I, I think that's the, the truth of it. Um, but the word treasure is kind of a, I don't often say treasure to people. It's not a word I often use. Treasure is, to me, like a childhood word in a way. Because I had treasures when I was a kid. I had my, like, my BMX bike. I had my G.I. Joes, my treasures. I had the models that I built. Those are my treasures. But when I was thinking about this, I thought, the treasures that I had, that I loved the most, whatever they were, was, as a child, were the things that I didn't want my sisters to touch. <laughs> right? They were mine. So I would put them somewhere, do, hang them from the ceiling, whatever I had to do to get my sisters to, to have them be completely out of reach because they were mine. They were my treasures. And so... I started, you know, just kind of wrestling through what are these things like that? How do, how do I understand treasures as an adult now? And how does that sort of simple childhood idea uh, extend to today? You know, in, in the first century, when Jesus was talking about treasures, most of the people following him at that time, or at least uh, interested in him, uh, were not people who had treasures. They didn't have money. Maybe the best thing they had were their, was their clothing. And in fact, the clothing of the day was something that was very expensive and you might even buy and hand down for generations. So when he says when mo a moth can destroy your treasure, he really meant it. And so we think of treasure in a different way. That's at least one aspect in, in terms of assets that they were thinking of. 
But what I want to do is, is look more at what it means to us today, and, and frankly to myself, and I'll be honest with you. This is, this is the thing I'm, I think I'm going to write down when I, when I talk with God about what my treasure is. I really think it's this. I think it's comfort. I love comfort. I will do a lot of things for comfort. And also what it means is I don't really want to do anything that's uncomfortable. I like to avoid uncomfortable things in every way. Anybody with me on that? Okay. So you've got, you've got a starting point, some of you. But comfort seems to be this thing that, that, that I value highly. Um, other things that we might value or treasure, we, we treasure family, our time with family, or our children, or our parents, either direction. Security, our career, success. Some of us value fitness, appearance, friendships, or relationships, romantic relationship, reputation, possessions, dollars. All of these things are things that can become our treasures, the things that we treasure. Uh, and, and I want to give you a couple of tools that I think might help you, or in helping me to, to wrestle through this. Uh, and and uh, this is kind of like, you know, like a big crescent wrench or a, that, that has two... Uh, two arms on it, and when you get both arms, you can grab hold of what the problem is. And I think one of those arms in this idea is, this part of the tool, is that if you want to know what your treasure is, then you have to honestly ask yourself, what's the thing that I cannot get enough of? What, what is the thing that I always feel like I'm coming up short in? Now, if you're married in here, you can probably tell what your spouse's treasure is. You know, and it may... Um, but the job is now to look at yourself, not your spouse. So let's just say that. <laughs> so don't, yeah, don't drift off and be like, oh yeah, she's, oh yeah, and that's what she is, she's. All. <laughs> In the place where you have this value, this thing that you're always coming up short in is a place, uh, for instance, like you can never have enough savings. You're always insecure about that. Or you're insecure about the possessions that you have or the level of the possessions that you have. Have you ever noticed how marketing is so genius? There's like, in bikes, which is my thing, you know, there's the basic bike that you'd never even think about buying. And then there's a step up and it's okay. And then there's a next step. And then it just keeps on going. There's like this quantum leap of about $5,000 and you really want the $10,000 bike. But somehow there are these, and you're always know it, you always know that you don't have that thing if possessions is the thing that you treasure. Family, we can never be close enough. I can never have my kids with me enough. I can never be, you know, be close enough. You know, I can never provide enough security. I can't have enough success. I can't have a deep, I can't, the, the relationship I want so bad never seems to happen. This, this thing where we have this, this desire that we can't ever fulfill. If you can identify that, or some of that, then you know you've got part of getting, getting a grip on what this is. But the other side of that, and I think this is, you've got you to go with me here. I think it's, it, it's very difficult, and you've got to be bold to, to be willing to ask yourself this. But um, our greatest treasure is the thing in the place in which we have the most insecurity. If you can find the place where you have the most insecurity, then you know where you feel like you are always lacking. See, it's not necessarily money at all. Whereas the treasure is the thing that you want to fill you up so badly. And when, what, if you can find, if you can ask those two questions of yourself, 
then, then you might be able to get a grip on what your treasure is. And so, you know, this, this side over here of my, um, um, your left and my right is, I'm thinking of that as the space where we're, we're identifying what that treasure is before we try to resource and change our focus on that treasure to a different place. Uh, so, first thing we got to do is discover our treasure because it's important because we don't want to waste it. And the second is to adjust our vision. And obviously, I'm, I'm playing off of what Jesus says. You know, if you have eyes that, that can't see then and darkness is in you, then what a great darkness it is. Our, our treasure can either be a source of light or a source of darkness. You see, he doesn't say, well, you know, you can have a little bit of, it's a little grayish, might be dim. No, he says it's light or how great is the darkness and how wonderful is the light. I like uh, how Paul has a parallel passage in Colossians. Uh, Colossians 3, 1, it says, um, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. You know, you're seeking something, you're actually looking there right? Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on these things, on the things that are above and not on the things that are of the earth. He's not saying that the things of the earth are worthless. What he's saying is that there might be a different treasure. And where our mind, when we set our mind on the things that are the true treasure, that's a totally different Thing. And there he is, he, he says, uh, set your minds on the things that are above, on Jesus himself. He is in, I'm, I think you're probably understanding where I'm going with this. Jesus is the new source of treasure. Uh, we just finished a series over the past few weeks that we called Running with Giants. It was about uh, some major characters in the Hebrew scripture, or the Old Testament, and things that happened to them. And something that I learned that I had never seen before, really understood, is that each of these uh, characters that we think are so great in the Hebrew Scripture, what, there was always this point, this crux of the story, where they had to choose whether they were going to trust God or not trust God. And so what I want to suggest to you is that when we are actually refocusing ourselves to look at Jesus and make Jesus our treasure, what that requires is trust. It's, it's like the first part of the process is saying, okay, I know what this is going to be like. I'm going to have to trust him. For instance, Daniel, a uh, major character. Most of you, whether you've been in church or not, have heard of Daniel. He, he and his friends had multiple life-threatening situations. And continually, they would trust God and say, God, we're following you regardless of what happens with the things that we value here on earth, like our lives, right? And so they, they trusted him. And God, God took care of it. But regardless of what he did, they put their trust in him. Or let's say, uh, we looked, first we looked at Adam and Eve. And so God has created this relationship with them. And he said, I need you to trust me. The only thing that I want you to avoid is this one thing. But you have to trust me. That's implicit, right? You have to trust me that I will be better and superior and greater and more fulfilling than that other thing that you want. And of course, their choice. 
they didn't trust him. They chose something else. Do you see there's a break? That's where the break in trust and the two stories diverge at that point. Daniel, amazing. And the brokenness that we have because of the decision of those people is with us today. Right? Because they didn't trust. And so trust is a major part of turning ourselves to a different source of treasure. Well, one other thing about trust. When you trust, you have to be willing to sacrifice. Trust and sacrifice are like the same fabric. If I say I trust you, like I'm, I'm married to my wife. I have one wife, and God has said, one wife, stay with that girl and focus on her. She, this is my way, and you, this is how we do this. If I believe him, I am sacrificing all other options, right? If you're married in here, you are sacrificing all other options because trust and sacrifice go together uh, with Adam and Eve. They could have chosen to trust God, but they would have sacrificed. And so whenever we're talking about changing where our treasure is, we have to be willing, not where it is, but where it comes from, then we have to be willing to sacrifice. We have to trust that, even like we sang this morning, Jesus is enough. And he becomes the source of our treasure. He becomes our treasure. So trust goes hand in hand with sacrifice. And I, I mean, the question I, I have to ask, you know, you could write this down and I'll probably write it on my sheet of paper. Will my story, if it's ever read, be one in which it's said that I trusted God and sacrificed? I mean, I'd prefer if it was that story. Okay, so we've I talked about how to identify our treasure. Talked a little bit about then uh, adjusting our vision and what we're actually looking at, filling our minds and our hearts with. But then uh, finally, I think there's a neat way to think about how to actually, you know, the how-to of making Jesus the source of our treasure uh, and moving away from the thing that is our treasure at the moment. Uh, In the last verse in 24, he says, you can't serve two masters. You'll hate one and love the other. That's a pretty strong statement. And, and uh, in my life, I've tried to do this thing where I'm a very committed believer, balanced with a great materialist. <laughs> right? Because I've got to keep that comfort there. And Jesus doesn't say, hey, it's a balancing act that you can work out. Does he? I mean, if, if it's, I mean, I love when we look at Jesus' words because you just can't, you can't change them. You know, and he says, he says, you can't have both of these things. One is over the other. You, you will hate how, I do not want to go down the road of despising Jesus because I have this materialistic comfort uh, mentality and heart. So one of them has to be above the other. What do you think that the church, could, the impact the church could have if, regardless of our wealth or our treasures or anything, the, the earthly things that we value, that Jesus was the treasure. But we can't have it both ways. And so here's, here's the how. I'm going to suggest to you a how. So follow with me here. Um, we, we need to realize how much we are treasured. This is the how. 
to realize how much Jesus treasures you. How much Jesus treasures you and me changes where our treasure is. Let me give you a, a little illustration. So my wife, uh, we met in college, and she's an art history major. So what did I get interested in really quickly? Art history. Because I'm no fool. <laughs> and so, you know, and ever since then, wherever we go, when we go on vacation or something, we we'll often hit uh, a few galleries, to, you know, anywhere. We just love that stuff. And sometimes you've gone into a gallery somewhere and you see this painting and you're like, unbelievable. That is so fantastic. You're like mesmerized and you're just standing, you just love it and you just totally agree with the other people looking at it and you see the price and it's just outrageous. And you're like, if I had it, I'd pay it. It's worth it. You ever been in that spot? You've seen that, you know, I, I would like that, but it's just so far out of reach, I can't do it, but it's beautiful. It's worthy of that. And then you walk in the same gallery or maybe another one, it's a different style of art, and you, and you look at the same size picture painting and you're like, I wouldn't put that in my garage, <laughs> you know? But the price is the same. And, and you're like, I don't get it. And of course, having an art history major wife, she's like, oh, but there's this, and these ideas are expressed, and you see the, you know, and I'm like, hmm, it's still not worth that, okay? This is like a garage sale thing, okay? <laughs> like, but um, it's not hard then for me to... Uh, make the connection that uh, I may be more like the painting that is not so great. That, that someone, because I'm broken and because if you're following Christ and you have actually realized at some point in your life that you are broken and you're messed up and you've got problems, but he fills the gap completely. And so we're more like the, the painting that seems to be worth nothing. But somehow, Jesus' way of thinking about value is different than our way of thinking about value. Because we think the things that are beautiful and perfect and right and shiny and new and all that are worth lots, especially if everybody says they're great. But things that aren't so beautiful, that may be broken, are not. And, and Jesus is the one who says, I will pay dearly for that and, and y'all, if, if we understand that, then that, that's us. It's super cool to think about, too. I mean, in one of the messages he has to crowds, he says, uh, he says, I'm a good shepherd. Remember that part? You've heard him say that? A good shepherd die, will die or lay down his life for the sheep. Now, if I take Fred and say, Fred and sheep, I think, Fred, you should die, that this sheep is worth more than you. And I said that in front of all of you, you would go, I don't even know Fred, and I know he's worth more than the sheep, <laughs> right? I'm pretty sure most people would say that. <laughs> but Jesus, we read that in the scripture, and we're like, yeah, Jesus is, you know, laid down his life for the sheep. That's not what they thought. That's not what you would think if I said it right now. Because Jesus values things completely differently than we do. He says the sheep 
that can't find its own way home, that needs to be led to water, that it can't, has absolutely no capability on its own, is worth my life. The painting, the person, you and me, who has no value in itself is actually made valuable by him by the cost that he would be willing to pay for it. The infinite cost. It's not just a man dying, a human. It's God dying. You know, I, I drive up, I live in Meridian Lake. Sometimes I drive up there and, I, uh, and people are like taking pictures of my neighborhood. And I don't drive up, you know, Jackie, we, we don't drive up and stop up there and go, oh, let me get another, get my phone out and get another picture of my house and the mountains because I've, I, it's kind of gotten uh, normal to me. And if I could recognize the incredible value that Jesus placed on me, and some of you probably already know where I'm going to Philippians 2. Let me read this to you. This is what the good shepherd did to lay down his life. 2.6, Jesus, he, though he was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God a thing to be owned, to be kept, but he let it all go by taking on the form of a servant. And he was born as a man. And being found as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He treasured us so much, he treasured you so much that he came out of heaven and gave up all of the rights of that actually to be born into a barn and live in poverty, which none of us do, financial poverty. He took on the limitations of humanity. He lived in anonymity and was rejected by men. Because he valued you and I that much. It says, it says if we were the only one, he would have done it. He will lay down his life for the sheep. So I don't know, some of us may not value ourselves highly enough. Because there is this, this price that has been paid for the imperfect thing, and that's us. That's you, and that's me. I think that the how is, is not to try to sort out what we have or even after we figured out what our treasure is to try to, you know, wrestle it to the ground and make it, you know, put it under, I don't know, do whatever, sort it out, but is to, to know what it is and then say, okay, I understand what's motivating me here, but what I need to do is set my eyes on the author and perfecter of my faith, on Christ who's at the right hand of God. And when, when that happens... I recognize how much I am treasured. I treasure him, and these things then can fall into place, right? So let me encourage you. You have the time probably somewhere to get along with God, and I, I think this takes a lot of boldness. Um, I, I'm honestly uh, uncomfortable with this message because I think if, it's gonna, if I'm going to take seriously what he says, then I have to face it. So I would just challenge you to, to have the boldness to try to, to do it because um, he says it's serious. So I'm going to pray for us for that. And then you guys just have a wonderful, beautiful afternoon. God, we are, uh, we're just amazed that you would sacrifice your son for us. Lord, we don't, we don't deserve that. Um, we might say we're not worth it, uh, but God to know that you place such great value on us. Uh, Lord, I think it's, it's the coolest thought because when we understand that, we, we, or when we get a, a tiny little glimpse of that, we're, uh, we're caught off guard by how good you are. Uh, this, this isn't like uh, religion. This isn't like uh, 
isn't even like faith or faiths or denominations or anything. This is just about knowing you and what you have done to, to rescue us and pay for us and redeem us. And we thank you for that. And I pray that we would be able to identify our treasure and see beyond it to see you and, be, and find you as a new source of, our, of what our treasure really should be. And so we lift that up in his name. Amen. Okay, you guys have a wonderful afternoon.